Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear on Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps us with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. All right. Well, the countdown continues. We are now two weeks away from the start of the Planet Microcap Showcase, our upcoming investor conference taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino on April 25 through 27, 2023. This is an opportunity to support the microcap stock community as best we can. We have an amazing lineup of uh, presenting companies, speakers, the keynotes, educational panels, everything that you would want at a microcap investor conference, all in the entertainment and business capital of the world, Las Vegas. So this is a message to you, uh, every any retail investor, buy side, uh, just if you have any interest in dipping a toe, following up on a name that might be presenting, doing some deeper dive due diligence, or heck, just networking with folks that are active in the microcap investing community, this is the place to be. There's still time to register and you can do so on our website at www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, my guest on the show today is John Petridis, Portfolio Manager at Tocqueville Asset Management. You know, this is primarily a microcap podcast. i, I think we'd all agree. Uh, we chat all about the world of microcap stocks and what is going on in the space. Today, we go macro. There's a world beyond our little bubble here in microcaps, and some of what's happening there can have a trickle-down effect. John is a regular guest on several financial news networks for his market insights and analysis. I'm putting my best CNBC Fox Business anchor hat on, and we cover as many 2023 macro trends as we can and how they may affect our microcap world. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap Podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with John Petridis. John, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, Robert. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So, you know, I, I came across you and wanted to have you on because I, I've, I've seen you've recently done some uh, some some hits, right? Isn't that how we say in the business? Some hits yeah, that's right. on, <laughs> on CNBC, Fox Business a little bit. And, you know, I haven't really done anything. Yeah, we're a micro cap show, but I haven't really done like a full macro look for everybody. And I thought, you know what? That, that's been kind of the nature of the hits you've been doing on these shows. Why not come on here and, you know, we'll give some the folks like a uh, kind of a high level of understanding of what's going on from a macro perspective and how that might affect some of the micro. So to start us off, 
you know, before we get into everything, you actually just did a post um, on LinkedIn the other day where, you know, you said it was end of the quarter on Friday and it started fresh now in Q2. And you mentioned a couple things that we should keep an eye on for this quarter. So let's start there. You know, uh, you, you mentioned inflation, earnings, g- contagion. So let's start with inflation. You know, where are we currently at? Do we see it curbing a little bit? Love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah. So, so um, you know, my team has been in the camp, uh, my team specifically at Tocqueville has been in the camp that uh, inflation is coming and going to continue to decline. Uh, w- one simple reason is the math. The core consumer price index, the CPI, is a rolling 12-month number. And pretty soon, by June, we're going to roll off the really tough comps year over year for the consumer price index from last year when you had the war and you had the supply chain lockup. So pretty soon, you know those numbers that are currently embedded in the CPI number, which is around 6.5% or so, is going to come off. So CPI is really going to weaken. And, and the underlying, not only that, the underlying economy is clearly weakened. Um, you know, the, 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 the banking crisis that we've experienced is only going to add, is really adding kerosene to the fire of already slowing economy. Um, and you're seeing that all in the real-time data, all of the, the high-frequency macroeconomic um, uh, uh, the manufacturing data, like you'll see these, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing indices are all lower than what consensus is expecting. Uh, the job data that today is what Wednesday, April 5th, uh, the ADP employment r- report was slightly weaker than expected. Uh, the JOLTS report, which is the job openings report, which shows how many job openings there are around the country. Now that is a two year, that's a two month lag, two month lag, and has been north of 10 million jobs openings in the United States. So one of the, the macro issues has been you've had this you know, really strong employment situation of 3.5, 3.6% unemployment. But at the same time, you've had over 10 million job openings in the United States, which just meant if someone got laid off, they could pick up another job somewhere else. It may not be for the same money, and it may not be their exact career move, but they can find a job somewhere. Well, recently that came under 10 million. So, you know, we've been sitting with inflation, uh, are we sitting with interest rates now for, you remember the Fed just started raising interest rates in March of 2022. So, you know, we went from zero to 5% in uh, just under or in about 12 months, which is a massive, massive tightening cycle. Uh, One we've not seen since the 1970s. So you're starting to see that marinated to the economy and you're starting to see the economy slow. So I I believe that inflation is really going to come down for two reasons. One, because the data is slowing, but also the data is going to reset where you have, you know, this this period of uh, February, March, April, May, June of 2022, where inflation numbers were high because of the war and because of the supply chain lockup. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you the, a very typical standard basic B type question when it comes to raising interest rates, because let's let's face it, everybody and their mother wants to know, like, all right, where are we? Is it going to continue to go up? So I'll ask you right here from what your team is seeing and from your expertise, do you continue to see it continue to trickle up or do you see it kind of flattening, halting for a little bit? So the more I'll tell you what the market is saying. The market thinks the Federal Reserve is going to raise another quarter of one percent come May, but then by the end of the summer is going to start cutting aggressively. And the Fed thinks that 
They're going to raise again, but they're not going to cut until 2024. And that's the disconnect. And to be honest with you, the reality is the Fed has been wrong for the past two years. You know, Jay Powell said in June of 2021, uh, as the economy was coming and, 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 and the Fed was still printing money and buying back bonds, he said in June of, 2000, June of 2021, we're not even thinking about thinking about tapering. Think about that, where we are today. And that was less than two years ago. Then uh, in February, December of 2021, January of 2022, the Fed thought inflation was transitory and not sticky. Look, inflation just started to be sticky. Now you have the economy slowing. Uh, there are many people, uh, who, and myself included, who thought the Fed should not have raised interest rates uh, this a couple of weeks ago. But the Fed wants to continue doing it because they're seeing that inflation, looking at the present real-time data at that point, and they think that the economy is still strong enough warranting uh, a, a rate hike. Uh, so I'm, I'm siding more with the market. Uh, that the Fed is going to, that inflation is going to tail off fast enough, that the economy is going to slow fast enough, that by the fall or December, you could be seeing uh, the Fed cut interest rates. It's interesting that you brought up what the market is saying, because we were just joking. I mean, we were talking offline about how, you know, you were finally saw the price of gold break through that, yeah. you know, ever so uh, elusive $2,000 an ounce number, you know? So, and I know recently, you know, we, again, we were just talking about how on offline, how you sold the, that side of the business Tocqueville to Sprott very recently. So, but besides that, I mean, give us your take on that, you know, gold finally crossing 2000, love to hear your thoughts there. So, so for, for our team specifically, we always have an allocation to gold in, in client, in a diversified client portfolio standard. Uh, and, 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 and the reality is, um, we're smart people, but we're smart enough to know that we don't know what the future holds. So having allocation to gold in a client portfolio is there to say, you know what, there are potential for black swan events that are out there. And if that it does happen, at least we have some protection in a client portfolio. So, um, so, so what we did was within our you know, core equity strategy, we typically have a three and a half percent allocation of gold. The Monday after the banks went down that weekend, we ramped that up to 5%. And then we bought another slug and it's now 6% of that strategy, the highest we've had in a very long time. Um, and and, and we're, we're very comfortable with that at this point. And not, and not naming any names, but you look at just mostly producers right now, kind of the, the main ones. Good, good, good point. Good, good question. So we, we have uh, an ETF, the IAU, which is what we use uh, to track, which tracks gold. And then we own a gold miner in our income strategy. Uh, the publicly traded gold miner that pays out a decent dividend. Um, and, and as long as gold maintains above you know, a certain level, they will continue to main, maintain that dividend. So those clients that are looking for income from their portfolio, the, the way that we play gold in that strategy is that gold with income by having a miner that pays a dividend. Because as we know, the, the one problem with owning gold is that it's a shiny rock. You know, as Warren Buffett used to say, if there were Martians, you know, looking down in the United States from space, they'd see all this stuff moving around. And but yet there'd be this shiny rock just sitting there glittering, doing nothing. And, you know, so gold does nothing. It has no industrial use. Uh, you know, it's a store of value. It doesn't throw off any cash flow. So um, so uh, so that that's why we do it for our income clients. That's how we play gold there. Absolutely. 
So another question that I want to get into, and this I think we'll probably dive even deeper into, and that's that's kind of this Q1 earnings. Mm. And, you know, in the microcap space, you know, there's been some that have just absolutely knocked it out of the park. But for the most part, it I'd say there's been quite a few that have come in disappointing. Mm-hmm. But it's almost been like it was expected, right? You know, weakening an economy. It's something that most managers can easily kind of put in their press release when they talk about it on the conference call, like, oh, weakening economy, things going, raising interest rates, you know, but I mean, across the board, do you feel that the market is starting to price in that, all right, you know, weakening economy maybe came in a little underexpected, like, let's see now next quarter, or mm-hmm. do you think that the reaction is more real of like, oh, they couldn't sustain, they terrible 2022, like it was only mid 2022 or right around there when things started to kind of take a turn. You know, what's your thought process there? Yeah, well, well, well the, the, the simple way to, or, the, or the most common way that uh, company stocks are va- uh, valued are through the price to earnings multiple, right? What's the price divided by earnings? So when you're looking at where stocks are currently trading, you have to look at the numerator and the denominator. The numerator, the price keeps going up, but the denominator earnings are coming down. So that means the valuation, simple you know, third grade math, is that you know the PE multiple of stocks is above its long-term average. So something has to give. Either earnings estimates are too bearish and companies are going to outperform, or prices have to come down to where we, we uh, recalibrate to a lower level. Um, the good thing is, and part of the problem with why stocks were so volatile last year is I think the analyst community which, by the way, by the way, I think the the world lar- by and large pays way too much attention to quarterly numbers, and you miss by a penny, and and and, and things get way too dramatic. But I, I think there were so many variables last year with the way that costs spiked, and with the lockup of supply chain, and that companies just didn't CFOs and CEOs just had really didn't have much visibility. That the analyst community just sat there and waited for companies to lower earnings for them. They weren't proactively learning, reducing earnings. So you had this whole world, I think, who were following consensus estimates caught flat-footed and earnings started to come down. Now there's definitely a different vibe out there. There's a higher probability of, you know, associated to recession in the next six to 12 months. So now you're seeing some analysts, you know, bake in recessionary numbers on earnings. So, so the estimates for earnings are coming down, which is a good thing because they should come down because the economy is weakening. Um, the question is though, is, is, is will, will prices roll over? And I think that the market is hanging in because of this idea that we talked about earlier is that as inflation comes down, the fed may have to cut. And when fed reduces interest rates, that's usually good for long duration assets like stocks. So the market is really buying this story that uh, that the Fed's going to have to cut. If the Fed doesn't cut and earnings come down, you know the, the stock market's going to have a bumpy ride over the next six months. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, one huge hurdle that quite a few microcaps are dealing with right now is just capital raising. It is just an totally. ab- it's an absolute. It's a for lack of a better term, it's but, a nightmare. Yeah, you know, no, no, no. You, you should have. You know, this is where you know if you're a microcap analyst, a couple things. You probably had some small cap stocks that may have been a couple of hundred million dollar market cap higher that have now a quote unquote fallen angel. That now, you know, quality company, the market has sold it off. So it's just, so if you, if you sharpen your pencil and you do your work, 
um, this is the time, you know, the, the next year or so is could be the golden age for micro cap investing. Um, you know, you know, if you're if you're if you know your companies well enough, you know, the, and, and you have the time horizon and the stomach to withstand volatility and presumably those that are you know listening to to this interview and follow you already in that camp right they understand the risks so they should understand the risks that come along with micro cap investing so um you know you, you have your you have a moment here and, and and also don't forget the large cap and the mega cap stock side it's harder for them to grow organically so you could see in a dislocation where their price dislocation, you know, these companies come into the small and micro cap space and start buying their top line. You know, they'll use all this cash hoard on their balance sheet and go out there and buy these companies up. So, you know, you could be set up where in the next you know 12 months or so where volatility will remain high as it always is for the space. But you, you could be in a period where it could be look or in retrospect could be the golden era for micro cap stocks. Jeez, you know what? Uh, as Bill Simmons likes to say on his show, uh, turn the TikTok camera on. I'm gonna have to clip. I'm gonna have to clip that yeah. one for sure. <laughs> that was, that yeah, was... for the record, for the record, <laughs> I, I, I do not have the stones to play in the micro cap space. If I'm going in that space or even a small cap, it is you know. Although we're all cap investors and we're generalists, particularly within my team, for the small cap and the thematic portion of our client portfolios, I definitely use we use ETFs uh, and punt and basically say you know. Uh, we like the group. We like the asset allocation for that client that has a specific portion of their portfolio geared toward long duration. But 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 to 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 be that boots on the ground for those type of companies, it's just not my ballywick. I'm going to play in the larger mega cap space where you know I, I could find value in 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 um, in, uh, in more established companies. For sure. But, you know, you brought up a great point in uh, and, and I've had a conversation with many managers about this right now is that, you know, they're generalists to look at everything. But now they're kind of starting to trickle down to our neck of the woods. You know, we welcome you all uh, because, uh, yeah, there's some small caps yeah. that, you know, previously billion, two billion. Now they're taking some severe head haircuts. You know, Robert, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, before the call about, uh, you know, the, the banking crisis and the banking contagion that happened you know, to the, to the banks that supported the private equity and VC community. That was a classic bank run situation. It wasn't like, you know, these were, they, these banks owned subprime mortgages that, that, that were failing and these companies had to raise capital. This was a, you know, someone yelled bomb in a, in a, in a movie theater and everyone took their money and ran. Uh, and they had to sell, you know, beachfront property securities at a loss, i.e. treasuries and agencies to cover uh, you know, the losses and, and, and it just spiraled out of control in, a, in a basically a 36 hour period. The, so that, that's, that's very different. However, one thing that I'm focused on is, you know, in the private equity community, uh, 2021 was the highest fundraising year of all time, right? Which was essentially, Fed was at 0% interest rate, that was peak valuation, right? You had no interest rate issue, and you know, interest rates are zero. So you're t- so when you're doing a discounted cash flow, you're looking at time value of money. Hey, if my if you know if the cost of our money is zero, I'll throw the Hail Mary and go into private equity, right? So um the problem is that the, the public markets re-rated last year. The private equity market has not, in general, I'm making a general statement, has not re-rated to the way the public markets have. And that's because private equity they can drag their feet. They're not being marked to market daily like 
you know, some of the publicly traded, like the publicly traded stocks are. So going back to, I'm just thinking this through is, you know, that could be another boost to the micro cap space in that when, when you invest in private equity, you're locking up your capital for a duration of time, right? Um, I, I, you know, I started my career at Bear Stearns. So I, and, and, and I very much value liquidity. So personally, I don't love private equity um, or if I'm going to invest in private equity, it's because there's a percentage of my liquidity that I have no problem locking it up. I don't need it to buy a house. I don't need it for my college education. I don't need to pay down loans. I could say, you know what, five to 10 years from now, I could let that marinate. And if God forbid something will happen to me, I don't need that capital, right? Here, people may be very nervous to lock up their liquidity because they don't know what the future holds. So they may say, I may dip into the, I may get private equity exposure through publicly traded microcaps, right? So you could be in another situation here where there's sort of a, an underlying tailwind into the microcap community. I'm making this all up. I, I'm just, but I'm thinking it through. Um, but again, is there's a between a lot between now and the lip and the cup because the, the dynamics are so changing. But you could see that as well. That could be an interesting. John, story. don't worry about it. Clip number two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, you may, it makes it makes total sense because when you think about it, like because one of the things I'm thinking about, especially with banking crisis, everything that just happened, how private equity just went buck wild in the last like ten years, is you think to I, I yes, we're you know human nature doesn't change you know there's going to be another cycle where you know things are going to be great again maybe even lower interest rates maybe not necessarily zero but continue to be lower and then now private you know people will keep their companies private continue to access private equity markets and doing it that way that's going to happen again but do you think anything might change from this experience because this is there's so many lessons to be learned from just all the failed experiments and crap and all sorts yeah. of stuff, you know, where you, you might think to yourself, man, I'd much rather get exposure to something that's much more transparent. That's at least publicly traded. Trust me, that still comes with other issues in the micro cap space. We'll talk about right. that at another point, but at this, but at the very least it's public and there's some kind of transparency there. Right. So curious what you think there, if there if something will change, if there will be any lessons learned from this. So, so lessons learned from what? Because there's a lot of this. That's yeah, 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 right, right. right. Sorry. So, so refine that a little more. For me. Sure. So lessons learned from this ten-year bull cycle. Oh, sure. Yeah, from from what? Yeah. Just kind of private equity going buck wild. Totally. Because totally. there's going to be this kind of experience again. Yeah. Maybe not zero, but close to zero rates. So, 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 Robert, one of the interesting things is is that this is the first learning experience for a whole generation of investors who really have never lived great point. with their own money um, in a bear market scenario, right? I mean, you had from 2000, you know, coming out of the great financial crisis with the exception of the Greek debt crisis and a few pockets here and there, you had the greatest bull market run in the history of maybe the history of the world. So you, you don't know anything else. Um, you know, people are maybe looking for a house for the first time today and they said, oh my gosh, you know, a six and a half, seven percent on a 30 year fixed mortgage. Look, this is crazy. Well, you know what? You go talk to my parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles and stuff. And they were saying, well, listen, in 1979, you know, we our mortgage was 14 percent. You know, we know for the most of our life, the average mortgage rate to be about eight percent. So you've had it free and clear. Right. And, and, and what happens, I think, in these types of environments when the cost of money is zero, i.e. interest rates, uh, people loosen the screws on their risk tolerance. They get they get complacent because that's that's what they think it is. And 
And the lesson learned here is that valuation always matters. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get, and I think that gets lost because I, I, there was a lot of sell side analysts out there in 2021 that are valuing, oh, they, you know, this electric vehicle, uh, you know, or this green energy company is trading at, you know, 20 times 2030 enterprise value to sales. It's like, what? You know, you, you are, you are justifying a stock price that has zero legitimacy. Right. So, um, so, so I think that, uh, I think it's important that people are going through a cycle for the first time. And, and when you go through a cycle and a sell-off and you're in a rising interest rate environment and, and risk reprices, it shakes, it shakes the trees to see who is, uh, who is, uh, who has diversified or is, or is not too far out over their skis uh, uh, from a risk management standpoint, or as Warren Buffett likes to say, you know, when a tide goes out, you see you swimming naked. And, and, and that's clearly what has happened. The tide has gone out, right? So now what you start doing as an investor is, so valuation matters, uh, which, is, which, is, which is probably the first lesson. And if, and if things are, you know, don't, justify, don't fall in love with an investment and justify the valuation, being intellectually honest with yourself and the valuation of what, why this thing is, is worth what you think it's worth, number one. Number two, understand your time horizon in terms of where you're making this investment. You know, if if you have this, you know, understand if something has the ability to go down 50, 75%, and if you love the business and you love the management team and you think you believe in the future, well, if it's down 50, 75%, that should be the time to buy, right? Uh, a lot of people will sell because they're looking at the price, they're not looking at the value. Um, so I, I think that's 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 really important. And I think it also is, you know, this these moments help define who you are as an investor, right? I mean, if you think that you have the ability to uh, handle risk and handle volatility uh, and, and you like concentrated positions and you think you feel comfortable in micro cap stocks or something along those lines, and then when things go down a lot, you're sweating and you're, you're up at late at night staring at the ceiling, maybe your risk tolerance isn't as high as you think it is. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Money and investing is a very, very, very personal experience. It's a very personal experience. And, 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 and your risk tolerance changes throughout the course of your life. You know, my risk tolerance today is very different because I'm married and have kids. Um, you know, and, and so that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's, that's the trick here. Yep. So, you know, couldn't agree with everything you just said more like that. That's I hope everyone's really taking some notes on some of that. And I think, too, yeah. I think, too, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but if no, people no, are if people are you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're listening to what you get, you guys are doing and you're in, in the micro cap space and, and you're taking notes and you're filling around you know, or if you're a true investor, you have to know the risks going into this. You have to know when you're investing in micro cap stocks, the ability to lose all of your money in an investment is high. It, it's there. Now, yep. the ability to get a hundred X return on your money is also there, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, this is, you know, you have a spectrum and you're playing the far ends here, um, yep. you know, on, on either end. And you have to know that going in. If not, you're in for a rude awakening. And, and so it's, it's, that's important, really important. A hundred percent. And that's why we do what we do is trying to provide yep. as much information for, you know, for those folks to maybe feel a little bit more comfortable in in, uh, in our space, especially if they're just dipping their toe. But another another question I had for you, you know, we you we we talked a lot about how you know um, 
expectations going down. And this is going back to your earnings point that you made on Friday, you know, and how, you know, quite a few of these stocks have taken haircuts. Most, some of them probably rightfully so, but who am I? I'm I'm not an analyst, so I'm just, you know, but most likely, you know, but I want to look at some of these companies that are, I guess you'd label them quote unquote growthy in nature, maybe still have high cash burn, maybe already have a product on the market. Maybe it's not growing or selling as quickly as it was, or maybe it's still flat, but there's, you know, they're still burning cash. They haven't, they haven't turned a profit. You know, these companies aren't necessarily going away anytime soon. Right. And yet here we are kind of looking down the hole of a, of probably a recession, right. In six to 12 months, maybe mm-hmm. how should we think about, that swath of companies as we enter in what most are predicting to be a recessionary period? So so number one, for me, I don't care if the company is the largest publicly traded utility stock in the world, or it's the the smallest publicly traded micro cap. The first place I'm looking for any company at any point in time is their balance sheet, right? What's the cash in the balance sheet? What's their debt situation? Um, You know, when you look at their, their assets, uh, there's a there's a point on a balance sheet called goodwill, and goodwill is simply like trademarks and patents and stuff like that. And if you you know uh, stuff that's fungible that can be marked down, is goodwill a big portion of their overall asset base? So they don't own hard stuff um, because you want to make sure that you know if their sales went to zero, could they sell the building that they're working out of, right, and earn something, right? What's the tangible? What's the net asset value worth of the underlying company? So that's number one. Uh, if they have a lot of debt on their balance sheet and we're clearly in an environment where um, the cost to borrow money is not only higher, but the cost to obtain money where, where loan officers are going to be really strict in terms of who they're giving out loans to. And you're a small micro cap company that's not profitable and you have debt due. You're going to knock on your bank and say, hey, you know, what do you guys think? Will you help me out? They're going to shut the door in your face. Because they're going to say, listen, pal, we're, we're, we're in the, the, the downslope of a cycle here where we just had two of the largest bank runs in the history of the United States. You know, I'm not giving anybody money unless I have a 100% guarantee I'm, you're not going to default on the loan that I give you. So balance sheet is clearly number one, uh, clearly number one on, on any stock that I look at. And that's got to be the focus. Uh, then the question is, if they don't have any debt, they have a lot of cash. Uh, what and they're burning through their cash. What's the burn rate? So assume that you know you, you put in some dramatic assumptions about what their growth rate, although it may have been strong in a down environment, how sustainable is it in a cyclical downturn? Uh, and what does that do to the cash burn? Then you know small micro cap companies presumably are going to have you know a large uh, you know private o- a large owner. Um, you know, in the business, right? Maybe they were private equity that was spun out and the private equity still owns 50, 60, 70, 80% of the publicly traded securities. What are they doing? You know, are they selling to liquidate? Um, or, or, you know, are they in their buying back stock? You know, what's the message that management is, is saying? So there's a lot of peripherals because, um, you know, unless you know the company really, really well, uh, and unless you have visibility that they're going to be cash flow positive or even free cash flow positive sooner rather than later, there are other things you have to look at to make sure that you get past the going concern part, right? That, 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 that's, that's where, you know, my attention would be, particularly in this part of the cycle, because 
you know, odds are that, you know, listen, if we don't head into, if the economy doesn't slow, right, and we don't head into some form of recession or close to recession, hard landing, soft landing, however you want to define that, then that means the cost of capital is going to be high, right? We need the economy to slow, which forces, which says, all right, the Fed gets convinced that inflation has been slain and the Fed could then cut rates because it doesn't want a 1970s stop and go type monetary policy, right? The Fed is not entirely convinced yet that the inflationary dragon has been slain, which is why they're dragging their feet here in terms of being more proactive in terms of cutting interest rates. So if the economy doesn't slow, guess what happens? The cost to borrow money stays high, right? Which also isn't good for micro cap long duration stocks. So you're, you're kind of in a, in, a, in, a, in a tricky situation here where, you know, an economic slowdown is going to hurt your top line and your cash flow, but it also lowers your cost to borrow money. So um, th that's why I'm, I I'm making the point that if you have the time horizon, the risk tolerance, and if you do your homework on right stocks, you could be over the next year or so find some real gems for the long term uh, and some real potential micro cap opportunities could present themselves in the future as we're caught between this strange period of high interest rates, slowing economy. Do we go into recession, which brings down interest rates, which helps long duration assets? Or do we not go into, or is now coming not slow enough? And that means the Fed keeps interest rates higher for longer, which isn't good for small and micro cap stocks. Does that make sense? It's, um, it's a really, really tricky period, which is why you have to do your homework on, on, on the investments that you're, you're making in this space. I got to tell you, John, you, you kind of said it perfectly. I, honestly, I, I don't even know where else to go. I think we just literally <laughs> covered everything that I, I personally just wanted to to hear. You know, and because you know, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have CMC yeah, on, yeah, on the time, yeah, right? You know, because totally. because what's funny is like in the micro cap space, like me and uh, most of my colleagues, yeah, we pay attention to what's going on in the macro, but at the end of the day, you know, we're just trying to, we're just trying to pick good stocks. I mean, we're 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 a bunch of geniuses looking for stock quality right, stocks, right, right? right? You know, not me, and, genius. And, the others, not me. And, you know? and the, the question, the question becomes, <laughs> the question becomes too, as you're figuring out who you are or who your viewers are as as an investor, are you an investor or are you a trader? Right. Right. I'm not a trader. I'm an investor. Right. So I'm going when I'm buying a stock. I believe I'm buying ownership in a company. Because I like the business model, I see the, the I think the future cash flows are undervalued, and I think this is an attractive price to buy into an attractive business of which I trust the management enough that I think they're going to do the right things with the cash flow that the company uh, generates. Right? That's that's where I'm coming from, but that's not everybody. I understand there are traders out there that are running algorithms and option strategies, and they're in and out of stocks, and you know that's a whole world that. That I have that I have no experience in and, 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 and no intention of ever getting into because it's just it's just not what I believe in. And it doesn't mean you can't make money. Uh, it's not what I believe in. It's just um, it, it's just not a place that I play. I, I just don't have that stomach for sure. Dude, all good, man. And when you're yeah. ready, don't worry. We're we're we're, totally ready. <laughs> we're ready to accept you. You know, we'll show you the ropes a little bit. Here. Now, listen, maybe in my maybe in my in my in my twelve year olds, you know, account. That's a no-brainer, you know what I mean? Or, or for you know, if sure, people, yeah. If there are people out there, you know, what could be interesting in a strategy like this is, um, you know, I have a lot of clients where they have teenage children that get, uh, you know, summer jobs, right? And they may make over the summer five, six, seven thousand dollars. And I recommend to them all the time, and they have to file uh, a W two or you know with an accountant, right? So they have to file taxes. 
I recommend to every one of them to open up a Roth IRA for their uh, for their teenage kid. What's a Roth IRA? It's you know a, a retirement vehicle where you put money in the account up to sixty five hundred dollars. It grows tax free, and then when they're over the age of fifty nine and a half, all the money comes out tax free. Right? Perfect situation. Kids eighteen, they can't touch it till they're fifty nine and a half. You want to take a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, and put it in some micro cap stock and let it go. That's the perfect scenario because who cares? They can't touch it, right? <laughs> you know that that sort of thing. That's the time horizon where they have, you know, call it uh, what forty years, yep. um, and, and you let it rip, right? And and there's no tax consequence. There's no nothing. So you know that that's how I view the world, right? That's the type of investor with a type of position. That if they lost a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, something like that, it's not the end of the world because you know what? They can't touch it anyway. That's so right. That that's how I view your world. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right. Yeah. Well, John, you know, we're we're pretty much there. You've answered kind of the main okay. questions I really wanted to get to and, and understand. So just kind of want to start end it with some closing thoughts. You know, is there anything that we missed? Anything else that you're kind of looking at that you think folks should, you know, maybe also take a look at or better understand? Yeah, I mean, uh, just bigger picture macro stuff. Uh, you know, I, if I go back to the markets, because that's what I do. Next, the end of next week, the banks are going to start reporting earnings, um, and then the following, actually, next week and the week after is going to be crucial uh, for the market, um, because, in my opinion, because the banks are going to tell you, you know, where deposits are, where loan growth expectations are, and that's going to tell you. If if there's a contagion deeper in the system here, or was this sort of a, a one-off environment? And yes, we're in a slowing part of the economy and things are slowing, but how fast are things slowing? I, I, it's going to be enormous, in my opinion, and that's going to set the stage for 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 I, I, for the next you know for, for the rest of the year potentially. Um, so I think that's important. You know, the macro data is coming down. Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be. That, that that's where my sight and my, my eyes are set for for right now. I think there's value in the energy space. You know, oil went up, you know, the other day, you know, oil's been up maybe 10, 15% over the past week, two weeks or so, helped by the production cut in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you really do, you have what appears to be a floor on the price of oil because you have two players, the Saudis cutting oil, saying we want oil higher because we like making a lot of money uh, with higher oil. And you have the U.S., which is really uh, below its uh, strategic reserve uh, requirement replacement rate, uh, dangerously low. And the Biden administration in the past said they'd be buying oil around $68, $69, And it came and went and they didn't do it. So you have and, and you know, there's only so much, you know, re, re, you know release of uh, strategic reserves that the U.S. could and should be doing. So in theory, you have two floors there on the price of energy on, on, on energy. So, you know, I think from a value standpoint, the energy space looks attractive here. Now, oil related energy plays. I want to make that distinction because nat gas is a very different world. So those energy companies where they have exposure to natural gas, I'm, I, I'm a little bit more cautious about. But those uh, energy companies that are oil exposure, I think they're, it's attractive. Very good. All right. Well, John. Where can our audience go and find more information on you, Tocqueville? Just, you know, yeah, I appreciate all, all that it. Stuff. Yes. Tocqueville.com uh, is our website. You can find out more information about me and my team there. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at jpatrides too. You can always find me on LinkedIn. 
Um, and, and yeah, we'd love to hear from everybody. Very cool. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.